And the prophet Isaiah gave us words centuries before the event took place, as Matthew records it in Matthew chapter 2. Let me invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me as we read this story of the Magi, this story of the wise men. Today is the day that we call Epiphany. The word Epiphany means appearance or manifestation. So typically Epiphany is those occasions in Jesus' life when through his work or his ministry or something in his life, God was shown to the world. He, God appeared or was manifested to the world. So there are three typical events that we usually associate with Epiphany. One is Jesus' first miracle, the turning of the water into wine in John chapter 2 at the wedding feast at Cana. And then the second event that's associated with Epiphany is the baptism of Jesus that the Gospels record for us. And then the final event is the coming of the Magi as Jesus is manifested or shown to the nations as the Magi come to pay homage and worship him. So over the next three Sundays, we're going to look at some of these stories of Epiphany and see how Jesus and God through him was shown to the world. So let's read this story about the Magi, Matthew chapter 2. By, by the way, you might also be interested to know that uh, Epiphany in the early church was the third great feast day of the church. The first being Easter, the second being Pentecost, 50 days later, the coming of the Holy Spirit, the birth of the church. And then the third was Epiphany. Christmas didn't show up for about four centuries. It wasn't until the late 300s that there was some mention of Christmas being associated with uh, the celebrations of the early church. It's kind of interesting how Epiphany now has very little uh, celebration elements to it, and Christmas gets all of the attention, isn't it? Okay. Matthew chapter 2, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the time of King Herod, and he was a rascal. He, he didn't trust anybody. King Herod killed a lot of his family off and friends who he regarded as threats to the throne. So he, he's not a good guy. During the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where's the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east or at that place of the rising and have come to pay homage to him or to worship him. When King Herod heard this, now you understand why it says he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ or where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. And now uh, there's a quote from Micah, the prophet. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly 
and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem is only about six or seven miles outside of Jerusalem. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and make a careful search for the child. And as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and pay homage to him or worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star that they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the, the star, they were overjoyed on coming to the house. Now, now, we're not in the manger any longer, are we? It's been some weeks or months. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary. And they bowed down and paid homage to him or worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. May God add his blessings to the reading and to the hearing of his holy word. Well, when we read this text, we usually focus on what we know as some of the biblical facts of the story and or we focus on some of the legends that surround the coming of these wise guys, these wise men, these magi to visit the Holy Family. But as I've studied this text over the last week or more, I've come to the realization that these wise men, these magi, are really radical wise guys. And I'm just wondering this morning, are you aware of how radical these guys really are? Now let's go back to the facts, first of all. What, what do we know about these magi, these wise men, who follow this unknown star? And of course, people have speculated through the centuries about the star. Somewhere around 6, 7, 8 BC, there was a conjunction of three planets that, that astronomers are able to tell us took place. Maybe it was some other star. Maybe God just gave some special light. We, we don't know what the star was at that time, but they're following this star from the east. So, so what do we know? Well, we know, first of all, they go, follow the star, they get to Jerusalem, they inquire of Herod about this king of the Jews, and he immediately, his radar screen starts to beeping because the alarm bells are running here's a threat a newborn king of the jews and so he consults the chief priest and the teachers of the time and they discover that micah 5 2 may have a clue for us that this messiah may just be born in bethlehem of judea just six seven miles kind of south and west of jerusalem so herod sends them off calls them secretly and says you know Find the king and then come back and report to me so that, wink, wink, I may too go and pay him homage. And so they go to the house. It's not a manger any longer. They go to the house, and the text tells us they bring gifts. They bring, first of all, gold. That, that's a symbol of royalty. They bring frankincense. Uh, that's a spice that's symbolic of priestly work and also of immortality, of life that never ends. 
And then they bring myrrh. Now, this is a really strong spice. It was sometimes placed in anointing oil, but it was also used to, as, as an anointing, embalming spice for someone who has died before burial. So that's what the wise men bring in terms of their gifts. Now, the Western church, the church out of Rome, says that there were three of these magi. That, that's the tradition, three magi. And they even give these three guys names. The names are Caspar, Melchior, and Balthazar. Now, the Eastern church says there were 12 of them. And if that's true, then this morning we should have sung, We Twelve Kings of Orient Are. But we sing, three, We Three Kings of Orient Are. Now, now, that's kind of what we know from legend and or from some of the biblical facts and information that we're given. But, but there's one more bit of information that I think you and I need to kind of chew on a little bit this morning. We need to factor it into the story. There's a good chance that these wise guys, these wise men, magi, three, twelve, who knows how many, that there's a good chance that these wise men, magi, were Persian in background. There's a really good chance that they were Persian astrologers. There's a really good chance that they were Persian astrologers and astronomers. They were scientists and priests, perhaps working in a royal court. And their religious faith was not Judaism. There's a good chance that they were adherents of Zoroastrianism. Okay? So, so kind of factor this into your equation here. Their path to God included another religious faith other than Judaism. Their path to God included astrology. Their path to God included science, what was for them at that time, modern-day science, astronomy. And yet, isn't it interesting that God uses them? God speaks to them through a scripture that is not of their own religious faith, God speaks to them through the prophet Micah out of the Hebrew scriptures. And God also speaks to them through a dream and warns them not to return back to Herod, but to go on back to their own home. And yet they come to pay homage. They come to worship a newborn king who is not of their own culture, not of their own ethnic or racial background, not of their own religious background, and of a different socioeconomic class and status. These three wise guys, if they were three or 12 or however many of them, they were of the upper crust socioeconomically. And they came to pay homage and worship the king born of two peasants, the poorest of the poor, Mary and Joseph. Now, let me put this in 2019 terms for you for just a moment to show you how radical these guys are, these three wise men. In 2019 terms, Matthew records for us 
that God is using Muslim scientists, research scientists, and religious leaders from Iran. Because you see, O Persia is the modern-day country of Iran. God has gone to another country, and he's using men who look at their horoscopes. He's using men who, whose path to God is science. He's using men whose path to God is another religious faith at times of their own, the Jewish faith. He's using men who are plugged into dreams. And that's how Matthew is choosing to kick off his gospel. And here we go. They're so radical that they get a carol that we've just sung about them. How about that? They, they get a carol. These Muslim research scientists who look at their horoscopes and the stars. You didn't realize how radical they were that you've been singing about, did you? I got a news flash for you this morning, folks. News flash. God uses a lot of different people for his purposes in different ways and patterns than we would typically expect. God shows up with unexpected people in unexpected ways. And he really doesn't care whether it meets our conventional expected patterns or not. If you think about it for a moment, God's wondrous grace and mysterious working will really blow your mind if you really process what's going on. In this story and the other birth stories, God announces Jesus' birth to shepherds, again, the lowest of the lowest on the socioeconomic status through angels. God announces and speaks to these wise guys by way of Jewish scripture, but also by way of the stars. God speaks to the Jewish political and religious leaders of his day through magi, these three wise guys from a different culture, a different religion, a different life perspective. And you know what? God's embrace of the atypical person just enlarges the longer you read the gospel accounts and as you move into the book of Acts. Here Jesus now grows up and he begins his public ministry. And what does he do? He eats and he hangs out and he builds community with the outcast of his day, not with the political and religious leaders of the day, not with the upper social crust or the economically wealthy. He hangs out with the outcast of the day. Who are those folks? Drunks, prostitutes, tax collectors, the revenue and the IRS folks, the poor, women. He hangs out with women and the general sinners of the day. You keep reading the story and you realize that Jesus touches the sick, those who have leprosy. And he touches those who are dead or close to death. And back in that day, you didn't touch dead bodies and you don't touch people who are sick because it makes you ceremonially unclean. And yet Jesus did all of that. And then Jesus goes off and, of all things, picks 12 knuckleheads 
all the way from fishermen to tax collectors and makes them his chief assistants. Can you imagine that? Jesus even goes to a Roman centurion, a non-Jewish Gentile military leader, and when that Roman centurion comes to Jesus and begs him to heal his servant, and he says, Jesus, you don't even have to go. Just say the word. In the military, I just give an order. I say the word. Boom, it's done. You just speak the word, Jesus. I know my servant will be healed. And Jesus stands back, and he's marveled. He says, I've not seen any greater faith in all of Israel, a non-Jewish Gentile Roman soldier. And then Jesus goes to the cross and he opens up his arms to be the savior of the world for all people and then he sends forth his post-resurrection disciples to tell the good news of his love and his grace and his salvation for all people because in God's economy no one is excluded and no one is beyond his embrace. A whole lot unlike you and me at times. We like to exclude people from our embrace. Let me tell you, we're not just talking about these radical wise guys. We're talking about a radical God who maybe doesn't resemble the God that we've put into position. It's easy for all of us. Every one of us. It's easy for us to be fooled at how radical God's grace is. And it's easy for us to miss from time to time some of the ways that God is working in our life, and it's easy to miss some of the people he might be using. We just see certain people, and even at the look, we prejudge whether or not God can be in that person. About a week ago, Leslie and I were in a restaurant together, not here in Greenville, out of town, visiting post-Christmas some of our kids. So we walk in, we sit down at this table, and, and as we were sitting down, I looked over kind of at the table beside and back behind me just a little bit, and I saw a person sitting there, and I don't know that I really processed it. I know I didn't process it verbally, and, and I'm not sure that I was fully aware at the time that I thought this, but looking back on it, I know I did. I know at the time I had something that ran through my brain looking at some of the folks at the table and particularly one particular gentleman and I, I know I thought there's not much of God in you. person hadn't even said anything and I'd made that judgment. And, and the person, you know, eight or ten feet behind me I, was rather loud. I wasn't trying to eavesdrop on the conversation. I almost couldn't help. You've been at, at tables before. You can't help but eavesdrop on the conversation. No foul language, nothing ugly. Said, I don't know, there was just something that said to me, I'm not so sure there's much of God in you. It, it, I'm ashamed to admit that to you. You ever done that before? Looked at someone and just made the decision, not much of God in you. So we went on and... Uh, made our order, waited for our food, and our food came. We started eating, and so, you know, we're 30 minutes into being in the restaurant, and, and the table gets up, and they leave, and the man stops and pauses by me and pats me on the back. What's so funny about that, Ron? 
<laughs> Are you thinking what I'm thinking, that, uh, that, that maybe it was God patting me instead of uh, the man? He pats me on, his ba- on my back. And he says, appreciate the blessing. You all have a happy new year. You see, a few minutes before, we had bowed our heads and prayed over our food. And he was stopping to say, I appreciate the fact that I saw you having a blessing. And you all have a happy new year. Now, you know what, you know what my two takeaways from that experience are? Number one, always realize there's someone watching you. You don't think there's someone watching you. You better believe there's someone watching you, checking you out. And especially if you carry the mantle Christian, there's someone watching you. There's someone listening to you. There's someone paying attention to your attitudes and your heart and your spirit, your word. They're, they're watching. And the second, my second takeaway is we, we do too much prejudging of who God can use and where God is at work. And and we really play God far more than we want to admit. I do. How about you? You you see, these magi in this story, that they do not become explicit followers of Jesus. They they just come to pay homage to a newborn king, but there's no place in the text that says that they became followers of Jesus, that they accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, that they left their religious faith. Doesn't say it. They don't do what we typically expect. They don't seek baptism and convert over to Judaism. That's what all Jewish people who, I mean, people who converted to the Jewish faith would have to do. They would have to undergo the rite of baptism. They don't get baptized. They don't seek church membership. As far as we know, they're they're not showing up for Bible studies from the Jewish rabbis. And they're not going to the temple for worship. They're not having times of personal devotion and prayer. Maybe they did that as part of their religious faith, but we're not told it here in the text. God's grace and his mysterious ways is so radical. It is so radical in the ways that God uses people to do his work some people that a lot of us would not approve or affirm or applaud. People like these radical, wise guy, Zoroastrian, Persian, scientist, priest. God used, he he chose them to use. You know, a lot of us, shame on us, are like Herod. We'll resist the work of God. We'll fight against the work of God. We'll we'll push away from the work of God and the people he uses if it doesn't meet our standards or or our expectations. That Herod, as I've already told you, he was a selfish, manipulative, suspicious, jealous king. And his every action was designed to protect his turf. And if he was threatened, he would act. And you know, sometimes if something doesn't meet our preconceived notions of how 
God works in the world. Sometimes we'll work hard to manipulate someone or something like Herod did. We'll resist. Maybe we'll even try to kill something off. And Herod is willing to fake worshiping Jesus so that he can dispose of the threat that Jesus poses. I, I hate to admit this this morning, but I think it's really true. There are some folks who would never darken the door of this church or any church who may be seeking and following a Jesus yet unknown to them, the Savior of the world. They may be following that Jesus more closely than many of us who show up here on a regular basis week after week after week. So let's be careful. Let's not play Herod. Let's not demonize folks who might be living in modern-day Persia, Iran, or any other location, any other class of people, regardless of their cultural, ethnic, racial, or religious background, if it's different than ours. Let's not demonize them. Let's not think that we've got it together spiritually a whole lot better than they do. God might just be working through some modern-day radical wise guys right now just like he did 2,000 years ago. And when we meet our Lord one day, do you want God to call you a Herod? Or do you want God to call you a wise guy, a magi? Do you want to be filled with God's grace and love, or do you want to be filled with the stuff of Herod? Your choice.